You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I want to invite you guys to open up to Mark chapter 5 as we get into some scripture today. Um, also, I uh, want to let you know, I'm a little bit, if I was a cell phone battery, I'm at about a 55 today because I did take uh, Leo, Ali, and Alec on a men's camping trip a man camp trip uh, uh, at Table Rock State Park, and it did rain the entire time. Um, and so uh, what is it Jim Gaffigan says? It's like, um, it's like drowning and then somebody handing you a baby. That's what it's like to have four kids. Um, picture that, drowning, having a baby, and then it's having a, a, a rainstorm outside in your camp. Uh, we are that kind of family that has a big enough tent that has a foyer now, so I feel like I've really arrived. We have the main quarters, and then we have the foyer. And I usually try to keep the foyer clean, but this time it had mud, toothpaste, and leaves that I had to, like, physically scrub out of there. So I probably have to open it up, you know, again, um, in the backyard and try to get it, kind of try to get it um, cleaned out. But um, if you are just jumping in with us here in, in Mark 5 and, and, and you haven't read 1 through 4, um, we are using the theme of suffering servant to be a frame for us as we consider, like, the, the angle or the, the superlative that Mark is trying us to identify, trying to get us to identify about Jesus and so Jesus, this is most typified in his, basically the one sermon we've heard. We've seen a lot of miracles, a lot of healings, a lot of action from Jesus, not as much talking from Jesus in Mark, the shortest gospel in all of the four gospels. And uh, he says, um, that's not by mistake, he says, actually the kingdom that I'm doing is a lot like a small little mustard seed. Um, I've got to tell you this because most people are not looking for mustard seeds, they're looking for mountains, they're looking for famous people, they're looking for big paychecks, they're looking for the higher number, the bigger thing, the faster thing. But if you're not looking for it, you might miss that the cup of cold water that you offer a stranger is the kingdom of heaven. It's not just a little sprinkle that you put on top of it to make it nice and to shoot, show that you're really, you know, integral and you, and you do the same thing in public. As, it is the substance of the kingdom of heaven. The small little things to forgive the 77th time of that person that, you know, your boss that annoys you at work to, to reach out to a stranger when no one else is looking to, to forgive yourself again when you look in the mirror. Those small little things. It's actually not the big flash in the pain. It's those small little things where the kingdom of heaven is built. And he's also a peculiar savior in the sense that um, the suffering servant, when he heals people, you know, he does what the blue check people don't do, which is he does not post about it. Uh, if you got on Jesus' Instagram role, I don't know what he would be posting. Him, just him, I don't know, walking in the wilderness with his father. Who knows? Uh, but, but, uh, but when he heals, when he does big miraculous signs and wonders, he actually tells people to be quiet about it. And, and by that, he is, he's going to do that today. He's showing and telling that the kingdom of heaven is not coming through hype, but through... Through, um, through just the kingdom of heaven, through small little secret things. And that is the substance of, of what's happening. And, and, and in the end, when he says that the seed that falls on the right soil, it's not about statistics, it is about faith. The small thing, the slow thing, the servant-hearted thing that is not actually about celebrity will become the big thing. There will come a time when the kingdom of heaven is not so small, and it's not so slow, and it's not so, um, so meek and meager. It will be obvious, and it will be shade for the nations. And, um, and so he is teaching us in his sermon to watch for that kingdom of heaven, even in Mark chapter 5 that we're looking at um, today. So um, if you were around in the early 2000s, you're familiar with this film genre called uh, multi-plot uh, movies or hyperlink movies. Um, so you're thinking of Crash and uh, Love Actually and Traffic and, um, and Crazy Stupid Love and some of these movies that didn't age that well, to be honest. Okay, So they were really cool in the moment, but they're not as cool now. And they're all about these, um, these seemingly disconnected character ensembles that go through their lives. And it's not until the middle of the end of the story that you realize these seemingly disconnected characters are actually integrated and interwoven 
into each other's lives in inseparable ways. Uh, I guess there is some, some statistic that uh, each of us are related to everyone else on this planet by at least seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, uh, is what I've been told. And whether or not that's true, that's what these movies are talking about. So on your far left, you have Love Actually, and Love Actually is all about uh, that uh, rock star on the bottom left who promises that if his uh, Christmas song, the number one single, goes uh, viral and becomes number one, then he'll sing his concert naked in some park or something like that, which is a really weird way to start a movie, but that's the way it starts. In the early 2000s, that was cool. And so then the little boy um, uh, sees that concert, gets inspired to go for his dreams and asks the little middle school girl to go on the date with him. And that inspires his father to ask out uh, the girl after his divorce to, uh, that, that he knows from work to, to uh, go on a date with him. And then somehow they're at some pageant at the end and then Hugh Grant like proposes to his secretary. I don't really remember how it all goes, but again, it wasn't as good as I remembered it. Uh, uh, number two is Crash. So Crash is, is a little less um, quirky and, uh, and romantic and nostalgic. Uh, Crash is about race and uh, police and crime and, and shooting and guns and that kind of a thing. And so it starts off with Ludacris who like robs this guy's car and it causes uh, the couple within that car to have these like uh, racist rants and remarks. And, uh, and one of the racist rants and remarks is to this uh, Mexican locksmith guy who like goes out and, uh, and then has an altercation with, uh, with the Saudi Arabian guy at the gas station. And, uh, and then it all ends with uh, Brendan Fraser's character, who is uh, one of the guys who gets his car jacked, um, is the boss of Matt Dillon, who's racist, and he convinced him not to be racist again. And so anyways, it's, uh, it's a little bit trite to some degree, but it tries to grapple with this idea of disconnected characters all being, um, all being deeply integrated within each other's lives. Last but not least was Traffic, Michael Douglas, who is uh, one of the judges that is waging a war on the war of drugs, has a daughter who gets addicted to the same drugs he's trying to stop. She gets trafficked. He has to go across all these different lines to find her. Meanwhile, Benicio Del Torres is the Mexican cop on the other side who's trying to um, stop the, from the ground level, the grassroots level, not just from the political level, the, the drug uh, issue. The wife, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is married to the drug lord and so on and so forth. All of these movies, whether serious or, or pithy and funny, are all grappling with this question, is our life in uh, the ways that we connect with one another, is it random, haphazard, without purpose and without design, or is it intentional, and is it put together by a designer for the greater good? In other words, are our lives and the way that we connect with each other made, um, made through tangling or through wovenness? Are our lives tangled together when we run into each other, or are they woven together by a good God that has a greater plan? For example, that if you were to get into um, adoption and your family adopted uh, a girl that's, let's say, seven years old, you wouldn't have been there at the time that their parents uh, got together, and you don't maybe even know the circumstances of those parents, but those parents, for the rest of your life, their decision to be together for whatever terms they got together affected your life in an integrated way without knowing them. They deeply impacted your life for the rest of your life because you're connected to people even sometimes that you don't know or don't have a design for or the third grade teacher that either loves your child or talks down to them is somewhat of a dice roll, and when your kid goes to third grade and meets that teacher, you weren't there when that teacher went through what they did through school and whether or not they paid attention or didn't pay attention. You just got thrust into that classroom, and you had to deal with it either sink or swim, and whether or not you chose to be connected, you are connected, and the question is, is that connection based on entanglement, or is it based on being woven? Was there a purpose, or was it random? Or, for example, I heard a TED Talk about forgiveness of this girl who had this friend, this brother's friend, who came in... Uh, um, looking for money to pay for drugs and got into a bad situation and, and then killed the mother and then uh, out, of, out of just kind of blind panic uh, because the father witnessed it, killed the father as well. And, and she said there's, there's a powerful and a, and a harmful and hurtful thing that happens when you run into traumatic and cataclysmic event like that. Though, though you didn't chose it, her life will forever be tied to that murderer for the rest of her life. 
in a strange and intimate way. That his life and her life, for better or for worse, for cursing or for blessing, will be forever tangled or woven together. But that is the question I think we ask ourselves as we run into strangers and family members and people we want to be with or people we don't want to be with. Is is our life together tangled or woven? So uh, today, as we kind of catch up with the beginning of Mark chapter 5, I need two people to kind of be my little extra speaking of movies today. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to give any lines. You don't have to do any dances. You just need to kind of stand there and be a bit of a placeholder so we can kind of catch up with our story. But I need one man and one woman who can be my Jairus just to stand for me in their seat. Jairus is the guy. Dad. Price. How about a hand for Price and his lovely wife, Sophie, who uh, threw him under the bus. Price, come on and stand up. That's Price. He's going to be Jairus. He's the synagogue leader, and his, and his daughter, remember, was dying at the beginning of the story. And I need just one female cast, cast call there. Uh, there's a stand. You don't have to do anything or say anything. You just have to stand there. And that's going to be Allison. Allison, why don't you stand on up there? Thank you, Allison. Yeah, I've all told you. There you go. That's what happens. That's why we don't sit in the front row, I guess, right, Kristen? All right. So, again, just to catch up, um, um, Mark could have, could have written this story with two separate chapters. He could have started a story with Jairus who came to him away from his synagogue against his tribe and really risking out on a limb, even in his own personal faith, to ask Jesus to come for him. He could have caused the beginning, middle, and the end of the story to be Jairus goes to Jesus and Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. But intentionally, and I would argue sovereignly, both Jesus and Mark are writing the story differently in the sense that Jairus' story doesn't end before her story begins. So as Jairus gets Jesus' attention to get him to come back to heal his daughter, what is not on the agenda or the itinerary of his day for sure, and Jesus' day, it even says in the scriptures, because he doesn't know that this was going to happen ahead of time, is that the woman with the issue of blood stumbles into Jesus' life and Jairus' life by virtue of Jesus delaying the healing. This woman has been suffering for 12 years with her issue of blood has kept her single, has kept her unclean. She can't access the temple. And it says in the scriptures that Jesus didn't even know that she was there or that he was going to touch her. And otherwise, her faith not only changes her day, her faith changes Jesus' day. And you're left with this ethical decision. If you're the healer and you can only heal one person, then you have to make a decision. Do I heal the suffering single woman that has been suffering for 12 years or the suffering dad whose 12-year-old daughter is about to die in a matter of moments Sometimes you can't believe at all places sometimes, and sometimes God doesn't make all things good at the same time. Sometimes he has to work them together for the good and glory of those in Christ Jesus, but he has a sovereign plan. And so he has to make a decision, and we watch his decision. It doesn't really matter, like, who he picks. The other one is still going to get hurt. Like, the hard part about miracles is that one person has to get healed first. And whether or not we like it or not, if you're praying for a baby, and somebody else has a baby that you don't get to have, Maybe your healing's later, maybe your healing's after heaven. But the hard part about healing is that through the course of history, not everybody gets healed at the same time. And that's hard for the person that gets healed and the person that has to wait for it. But nonetheless, this woman has just stumbled into his life by way of Jesus. And that's how it is when we follow Jesus. We stumble into other people and brought all of her issues. We have people in our life that have issues. You know, their dad issues and their alcohol issues and their their anxiety issues and their depression issues, and they don't ask you permission to just come in and bleed all over you with their issues. They're just coming in with their issues, and they don't really ask you for permission. So this lady comes in and just, just, just bleeds into this issue. And so at face value, it seems in the beginning of the story like their lives are just tangled, that their lives are a random hodgepodge of incidences of grabbing and taking and clamoring for, for attention of Jesus, and Jesus just served the squeaky wheel first. That's what you would gather at the surface, surface level. 
is that both of them came for a healing because she was louder. She gets the healing and too bad. Next time, buddy, your, your daughter's dead. But if you look a little bit deeper than that, you recognize that the, the transaction between the two people is not only the pain that this woman is, is pleading out for Jesus, but also the faith. That this guy has to go home to his daughter for faith in Jesus for a resurrection now, not just a healing. And the faith that he needs for his daughter's healing didn't just come from him, it came from her. And there's actually a possibility that the exact same day that this woman started bleeding could have been the exact same day that his daughter was born. And that God didn't just orchestrate this healing just in this moment and have to make a decision within 12 seconds of looking at both of them. He's been making the decision for 12 years. Maybe he's been making the decision since the foundations of the earth. In other words, this, this woman's faith as she has suffered None of those drops of blood or sweat or pain have been wasted. All of these 12 years have brought her to the place that she might reach out and touch his cloak to have faith for the healing. But that faith was not just for her. It was also for him. At face value, we assume that she got healed instead of him at the beginning of the story. In other words, this is the way I'll put it on the screen. We assume that if life is just tangled, that she didn't get healed or excuse me, that she got healed so that he could suffer. That in other words, that she gets healed, and I think I wrote that on the screen, that she gets healed instead of him. But actually, she wasn't getting healed instead of him. She was getting healed to make a way for him, that he needed the faith that she had garnered over the 12 years of suffering, that all the 12 years that his daughter wasn't suffering, she was suffering, and the faith that was birthed out of that soil now gets inherited from him just by engaging with her. In other words, she suffered so that he could be healed. At the end of the day, some will be healed first and some will be healed second. Some of us in this room are having our our healing delayed and some of them are having delivered today. But his will for all is that both of them would be healed because their stories are not tangled. They are woven. All right, that's all I got for you guys. Take a seat and uh, give a hand for our, our cast of characters there. Thanks so much. What does that mean for us when it comes to church is that, um, is that all of us have our issues every day. Other Sunday, when we're not praying for missionaries, we have testimony time. And testimonies are time that, that God does something um, uh, through suffering, not around suffering, through faith, that allows faith to transfer. And that some people will share stories on this stage about the divorces they've been through or the raising of support that they're walking through or the infertility battle that they're walking through that they're all, or maybe on one side or the other side of. But that faith is not just for them. It's also for you as well. That you are working through something right now And we are realizing from this passage that you're not just struggling through your suffering for you, but also for your kids that you don't have yet. That you are dealing with pain right now that you were handed down, and if you would walk through faith in that suffering, you could hand something to your kids that you didn't have handed to you. Because faith is not a depleting resource, and faith can be transferred. And the pain is is rubbing up against us. As we stick around hurt people, we will get hurt, but that faith can get can get transferred and inherited. In other words, she actually didn't suffer, you know, so that she didn't get healed so that he had, she had to suffer. She actually suffered so that he could get healed, that she actually suffered in a way that his daughter never had to suffer. And these faith, this faith is, is transferring from one person to the next. And so all of these things are, are growing in our faith that all people ultimately on this side of heaven or the other side of heaven will be healed. It is painful to be healed first and second. But, but his desire is, is that our lives would not just be tangled together um, but woven together. So here's uh, verse 35, Mark 5, 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, it says, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and says, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? So these are 14 painful verses. I mean, I counted the last time you see Jairus' name is 12 verses. And so with all of the melodrama and the drama for the woman of the issue of blood, it's almost like Jesus forgot about Jairus. I don't know if you ever felt like God has forgotten about you 
or that your name was listed in some verses over here, but all the verses in the last 12 verses are certainly, 14 verses are super ambiguous as to God's intent towards you. Like, did he just get busy and distracted and forget to text you back? Like, what happened? You just put me on hold and then, you know, never, never called me back. And so I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that is, um, that is at speed um, encountering the loss of a loved person um, that, they, that, they, that they didn't know was going to die, that they are surprised and shocked um, by the loss of someone close to them. Not, not a grandparent in a hospice center, not somebody that, they was, that was sick for a long period of time, somebody that they woke up surely assuming was going to be alive by the end of the day, getting the phone call and finding out that that's not true. It could be a, a mom, it could be a sister, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend that you just were at the gym with the other day. I mean, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. What's it like to hear your daughter is dead? And I don't know about rooms you've been on or telephone calls or, 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 or in living rooms that you've, you've heard, you know, so-and-so, your, your, your son is dead, your daughter is dead. The one word that I continually hear from people that are, um, that are at speed losing those that are close to them, those that they love, is the word no. I hear the word no. And sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's, it's quiet and sometimes it's frustrated and sometimes it's sad, but it's just no, 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 no. And that word no, I think the reason why we hear that word and why it's so emotional is because, I mean, Arguably, it's, it's trying to encompass all of the grieving uh, experiences that we ever experience in grieving. Like grieving is a process, and it's not necessarily linear. And over time, the grieving process goes backwards and forwards. They are connected in sequential order, but sometimes they're not linear, and they go back and forth. And I think at the, at the ground zero, at the uh, triage space of hearing that that person is gone from you forever, you're hearing all of them at once is why this such groaning comes out of a person. Sounds that you might never hear from somebody ever again or before. Because they're saying no in the way of denial. Like, no, that can't be true. They were just alive. They're 26. But they're also saying it from the place of anger. No, that's not true. How dare you say that to me? They're also saying it from the note of a bargaining sense. Like, no, 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 I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll go look. I'll go, I'll go check the swimming pool again. No, I, I, won't, I won't go in for a nap. Like, no, I'll go bargain for it. Or there's a no of depression. Like, no, I, I just can't. I, I can't conceive of this. I can't deal with this. It's too much to bear. It's too, too heavy to handle. Or no, in acceptance, I won't accept it. I, I refuse to accept it. So there's only two or three people named in this whole story, and sometimes when the Bible names somebody, it actually invites you to embody with them more because you know them more personally. So Jairus is somebody that I think we're meant to empathize with or put ourselves in his shoes. And so if I, I do that, if I take the liberty of doing so, if I'm putting myself in Jairus' shoes, the, the feeling that I'm feeling when I'm saying no most is the feeling of anger. Because again, if you get the phone call and the person died because of a car accident, it's a shock, and I didn't see it coming. But this, this is not necessarily a shock because I kind of already knew the girl was sick. If she died because she was on hospice, and I already knew that she was of age and she was going to die, then it was inevitable. And I would be already along the process of grieving more towards bargaining or depression or, or, or acceptance. But because, because of my faith, and this is one of the hard things about being a Christ follower and believing that all things are possible because of faith, because of faith it gets a lot more painful than that. I think that the, the feeling that Jairus is feeling is anger. You can't have anger if you don't have expectation. And I don't think he crossed the tracks to go find Jesus and walk away from his tribe and walk out on a limb against public enemy, the people that everybody's plotting to kill, if he didn't have some sense of expectation. He believed, as he flung himself at Jesus' feet 14 verses earlier, that Jesus said what he meant, and he was coming with him. And now all that is coming down like, like a house of cards. And so I think he's angry at the crowd. Like, I picked my daughter up and changed her and dressed her and prayed for her and led her along this way. And so who are you to tell me that she's dead? Who are you to put my daughter's name in your mouth and say she's dead? You didn't bring her into this world, so you can't declare that she's dead. Or I'm mad at the woman 
your stupid issues, you probably caused it on yourself, you had to have your stupid suffering rant and tyrant, and the squeakiest wheel gets the wheel, and of course you just run in here and you're crying, and, and, and then Jesus heals you instead of my daughter. Great, figured as much. Or maybe I'm mad at myself. I'm mad that I wasn't with her. I'm mad that I wasn't more protective of her. I'm mad that I didn't make her wear a hat on so she didn't get typhoid or whatever it was that she got that, that she was going to die. Like, I'm mad at myself for being a dad. And, I'm, and if I'm deep down honest with it, I'm really ticked at Jesus. How can you say to somebody that you're going to heal their daughter and then wait 14 verses and, and then nothing is happening? How can you heal somebody else when I was the first in line? I'm mad about that. And so this anger and expectation puts, puts Jairus in this place of both fear and faith. That when our expectations are let down, deep down inside, there is an anger. I called it. I knew this would happen. This always happens to me. Of course it is. If, it would have, if he would have healed Jairus first, then she would have felt that way. If, in the case that, in the way that history rolled out, the way that he healed the woman of the blood, then Jairus feels that way. But it's always harder to get healed second. And someone always gets healed second. And that's super painful to deal with. So I'm thankful that a Bible that gets us, and I'm thankful that a, that a Bible that, that understands our suffering, it says in verse 37, he did not let anyone, excuse me, it says in verse 36, it says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. I love that it says that Jesus overhears our conversations. And we think of that like, oh, like when we were a little kid, like you overheard me cussing that one time. You know, like we think of it for like a Gestapo thing, like it's like he's trying to get us. Like he's not listening to us like a judge, he's listening to us like a father. He's listening to us with compassion. And what this tells us in verse 36 is that he hears Jairus. He's not forgotten about Jairus. He's thinking about him. And not only did he hear what the crowd said, but he does what most people in your life won't do, is he understood, understood what you heard them say. Like sometimes when you deliver somebody a message, if you're a doctor and you say your daughter's dead, like they're mad, and they sound like they're mad at you, but they're just mad at the situation. They just didn't like what you said. So he, he heard what they said. He heard what he heard them, Jairus heard them say. And he also knows what he needs to hear. And this apparently is what Jairus needs to hear. He started the story with faith, but he's, he's, fear is creeping up on him. So overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, do not be afraid, just believe. Now, depending on your perspective of Jesus, that sounds anything like from hopeful to trite. Like if your daughter just died and I just come up to you and say, hey man, don't be afraid, just believe. <laughs> like it's, it sounds a little bit trite. It all depends on the window and the lens by which you see Jesus and the, what you believe that he's doing. But what you could hear him say is, hey, don't worry, man, I'm so sorry I was on the line. I forgot to text you back. True, the story is they didn't forget to text you back. They're just busy and they don't want to text you, right? But they'll say, I'm so sorry I was so slow to text you back. I didn't see it. They saw it. Okay, right? But Jesus is not saying, sorry to leave you on hold, man. I'm going to get to you now as if something was wrong. He's actually saying, just believe. I knew this was always happening. There's a plan behind this. Little Ollie in the tent this last weekend stepped on an entire thing of toothpaste and spilled toothpaste all over my sleeping bag. I don't know if you ever tried to clean up sleeping bag stuff, but it's a mess, okay? But there's something good about to a seven-year-old, hey, man, it's okay. After I took my deep breath, I can fix this, right? I can fix this. I didn't know it was going to happen. You did it. Things happen. I can fix this. What Jesus is not saying is, you spill the toothpaste, I can fix this. What he's saying is, this has always been breaking, and I've always been working, and I've come to use this. I've come to use this. I've come to use the 12 years that she's been suffering, the, time, the 12 years that your daughter was fine and didn't know who this was, to build a faith that you needed, you didn't even need, know that you needed and he's, she's come to you and, and, and barged into your life as well as Jesus' life to teach you the faith you didn't need to know for those 12 years so that you can come back and have the faith that you needed to see her resurrection. In other words, Jairus, you're looking at this too small. You think this is about a healing, but this is about a resurrection. 
that the fight that you're having, you wish you just want that person to just shut up and stop doing what they're doing and stop being manipulative and passive aggressive. And potentially when he's saying, don't be afraid, just believe, he's not just saying, I'm going to come and fix it tomorrow. What he's saying is, I'm going to use this right now for a resurrection. That there's a vision that's much bigger than just stopping the, the, the drama that's going on in your family. He's like, I'm, I'm not trying to, to solve drama. I'm trying to resurrect your family. And if you have a, a shorthanded vision for what God is doing, we might miss the story for the sentence. That the job that you're working on and you're trying to pray for and you're trying to get in his career, he's like more interested with your calling than your job. And if your minutia is, God, you're not good unless you fix my job, you're missing the bigger picture of what he's saying when he says, just believe. He's not saying I'm coming to give you a job. He's saying I'm coming to give you a calling. And the job is a pawn in that. And I'm not coming just for a, for a healing. I'm coming for a resurrection. So here comes these other characters that haven't been in the story for very long, but they sort of just randomly barge into the story as well. And they're named as well, which means that we can kind of relate to them. Verse 37 says, He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Okay, so there is verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, John, um, uh, and uh, John, the, the brother of James. And so if you're watching a movie and they introduce some characters 60 minutes into the movie, like, you're just like, it's too late, dude. I'm just bored. I can't handle any more characters, you know? Again, unless it's Lord of the Rings, which is the reason why I keep sleeping through those movies, right? But you can't just arbitrarily, haphazardly just bring characters in. We haven't seen a disciple since Mark chapter 2, and all of a sudden these disciples just show up. They've done, the director has done the framing of the story. We know who Jairus is. We know the situation. We know his daughter. We know the woman at the issue of blood. We know the crowd. The crowds have always been there. The daughter has always been there. The wife will show up. We understand is connected to Jairus. We get the characters, but why is this, our disciples showing up now? I don't think that it's on accident. I don't think that, I don't think the disciples are being tangled into the story. I think they're being woven into the story. That Jesus knows on purpose the resurrection that's going to happen, but he wants them to see the faith before it does. That Jesus on purpose calls them by name, you and me by name, that when suffering happens, he wants us near it and not far from it. I think what this would mean for us is that Jesus does not, say, does not seem to see the raising of our children in Christian environments separate from pain because pain and suffering is where people learn to know faith in Christ. He's saying, if you're my disciple, I'm not just going to have you stay away from the suffering. I want you in the triage room with this family because I want you to see the suffering that gives birth to faith. I don't want you robbed of this moment because even when you're not in the middle of suffering, you're headed towards suffering. And if you don't learn the faith of people that are in the middle of suffering, you won't know suffering and you won't know Christ. And so disciples, he's saying, if you're following me, to follow me is not to be far from suffering, but to be close to it. To be close to this pain, to see faith uh, grow. And so he, uh, he goes on in verse 38. It goes on in verse 38. It says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So I saw a YouTube short with uh, Marlon Wayans. He's a 90s comedian. You guys alive from the 90s? Okay. And uh, he had four brothers, and they're all hilarious. And you're like, why are they so funny? And so they asked him, they interviewed him. He's like, why is your family so funny? He's like, well, you know, the thing about funny people is they go through a lot of hard things and they have to laugh about stuff. And so that's how they're so funny is because they make joke about stuff because otherwise they would cry. Okay. And so he said, one of the things that we would do as brothers is we'd just be sitting there and ask ourselves, like, what's funny about this situation? He'd be in church. What's funny about this situation? The librarian, any number of things. He said, for example, uh, they were at a funeral of a cousin and the cousin had a Harley Davidson t-shirt on because he loved to ride Harley Davidson. So the auntie put the uh, Harley Davidson t-shirt on him and little, Mar uh, little uh, Damon Wayne, so if you know who that is, was just like, 
well, if there's a dress code in heaven, that guy's not going to get in. And they would just laugh at it. And he said they would laugh at it all. They'd laugh at the shoes, the baggy suit. They'd laugh at it all. You know, because it's like if you're not crying, you've got to laugh, right? So you hear all the range of emotions here, the laughing and the crying. And you've been around funerals. Like the reason why we laugh is so we don't have to cry sometimes. And funerals are some of the most awkward conversations because we just don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to cope. We don't know what to say to the mom. We don't know what to say to ourselves. Our life is not built for it. We don't organize around it. We don't think about it. And we just visit this funeral, and we, we have to try and play the part and say the right thing. And for this case, these people were hired to cry just because that was the culture and the tradition back then. But oftentimes, we're laughing because we don't want to cry, and we don't know how to cry. And so Jesus comes into this situation, and he speaks directly to really the deeper fear and the deeper need that nobody is talking about and nobody's dealing with, which is that all suffering is ultimately wielded and steered by the fear of death. That this life is not as long as we want it to, and we don't have as much control over tomorrow as we want it to. And he speaks to this situation by saying, verse 39, the child is not dead but asleep. Well, the heart rate is gone, and the touch is cold. The child is medically dead. It's not that Jesus knows something that they don't know. It's that he sees something they don't see. He sees that death was never supposed to be a part. Death is not another angel getting to heaven. Death is vicious and vile. It makes a body smell bad, and it will take a child. It will take a parent. It will take somebody in the middle of their life. Death is not, not quaint and trite. Death is not something to put on a crochet pillow. Death is the agency of sin. And death was never meant to be a part of life. But what Jesus is preaching to them, if they have ears to understand, is that although we live life like life is temporary and death is eternal, he sees life as eternal and death as temporary. He sees life, he sees life as, as, as eternal and, and forever, and he sees death like a nap. So he says, and he means it, the child's not dead, but she's asleep. And so we had to pause and think about this for a second. Jesus comes to be the miracle worker, right? Jesus does miracles. He comes to heal the sick and, and cleanse the leper and, and set the captives free and cause the deaf to hear. And the, of all the greatest landmark marquee miracles, the greatest miracle that you do on this earth is raised from the dead. This is one of the greatest miracles. If you ever get asked this on a, on a trivia question or who wants to be a millionaire, ask yourself, how many people did Jesus resurrect? The answer is three. Jesus healed uh, the, the widow's son. Jesus healed Lazarus, if you guys remember that from John 11. And Jesus healed this girl. That's it. That was the only three times that he ever resurrected anybody. In the meantime, although he healed many, many people, there are a lot of people that didn't get healed. There's a lot of people that died that didn't get resurrected. Jesus managed to find eight hours of sleep every single night. And here's the most important statistic, that all three of the people that he resurrected died again. So what is the point here? Is that he must not be talking, right, about um, his, his mission must not be about coming down here and emptying grave sites. His mission must be something else. He must be trying to do something in the in-between times of the delivery and delay of miracles, that he slept through the storm until he quieted it, that he allowed for the person to run around in the graveyard like a crazy man until he delivered the thousand demons out of him, that he told the girl to get up probably at least a couple days after she fell down and, and, and was in mortal uh, injury or mortal, mortal sickness. Like, in other words, there, there's times that he is waiting and times that he's delivering, but he's using all of that because the point is, is that he is not here ultimately to do miracles because he doesn't need to prove anything to himself. He's God. He came to grow faith. The reason why he would heal and resurrect and wait and deliver and delay and sleep and calm storms all in their appropriate timing is because Jesus did not come ultimately to do miracles as the end. Those were means to the ultimate goal, which is to grow the kingdom of heaven through mustard seed faith. And he does whatever he needs to do to get that to be, do, to get that to be done. So it brings us all the way full circle. Leave it to Jesus to actually do what he preaches, right? He preached the sermon, and then three chapters later, he's still doing the sermon. 
And he preached the sermon about four different soils. He says that there's seeds everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is not big and people don't want it. It's small and people miss it. It's everywhere and there's too many seeds around. And he says that the reason why that people miss it is not because the soil isn't ready for it or that people don't love God. It's because there is obstruction. There's the devil. There's love of money and the worries of the world. And there's persecution. And all the seeds, it's not that they don't get planted. It's that they get uprooted. And so what we are seeing both in the sermon and the practices of Jesus is that the good soil is what we should be asking. God, I want good soil. If there's only 25% of the soil that's good, I want it. And what he is saying and also showing us in his healing and, and, and delaying of healing is that the soil is made of healing, but it's also made of suffering. That the soil that, that is needed to have a crop that grows 30 and 60, 90 fold will have stories in it that are the delivery of healings, but also delays. If we do not know suffering, we will not know faith. And if we do not know faith, we don't know Jesus. Suffering is absolutely part of the curriculum of disciples. In other words, if it wasn't, he wouldn't have brought them into the room to see it. And so when we're young, when something happens, when a kid drowns or, or, or parents get divorced or something happens hard to a, somebody goes off the deep end with addiction in middle school or, 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 or um, has alcohol poisoning or whatever at some party that we went to, we think of them as unlucky. I'm so glad that I didn't make those choices and draw the cards that they did. I guess God has put them in my life to make me grateful and learn from their mistakes. Until we go on in this life and we realize that, uh, that people that avoid suffering early in their life are not just lucky, they're just late. That sooner or later, we are all suffering. That we will all come to this place of, of a cross. Jesus says, carry your cross, meaning we all have one. It's just a matter of if we carry it or not. That suffering is a part of discipleship. And whether it's at a nursing home, or it's uh, uh, hovering over a graveyard at an early death, or whether it's building up some business and seeing it all crumble for no good reason at all, or, or waking up to an iMessage report from your husband that you saw text messages that he shouldn't have been texting, or it's some uh, triangle of drama that's going on in your family that happens Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving that you think it's going to get better and it doesn't. Ultimately, Jesus is saying, if there's suffering, do not be surprised. This is so hard for us in our culture to understand because we think that suffering is for martyrs. One of the biggest industries in America is painkillers. One of the biggest issues that we're dealing with in psychology is, is dealing with, with, with trauma and pain. And all of, our, all of our happy, you know, a lot of fairy tales in a lot of other countries don't end with happily ever after. We in, we in a modern age can, can fall for the trap that our life is designed to be painless and that we should continue in following Christ to create that painlessness. And there is pain that something must be wrong. But Jesus is obviously saying, if good soil is developing beyond the devil and the worries of this world and, and persecution and bullying and bribing from Satan, that in this life there will be a suffering because suffering is part of the soil of healing. And if we are, we are facing some of this pain and tension, it might not be because something is wrong. It might be because something is right. If we are living so distant from others that we, we separate ourselves because hurt people hurt people and that's my boundary and so they're toxic, keep away from them, that sort of thing. There's tension to all that. But maybe he's saying, like, you going towards them is not just to practice empathy and care for their suffering, but you might be coming towards them because it's not just their hurt that gets on you, it's also their faith. That there's things to learn from people walking in suffering. Maybe, maybe you're not just the one offering the blessing going to people in suffering, you're actually being blessed. That maybe the pain that you're walking in, like, the reason why Christians are told that they're hypocrites all the time is because they're trying something. You know what's easy not to be a hypocrite about? Not trying anything. Not to get your hopes up. Not to walk out in faith. Like if you experience pain, you might be going the right direction. 
that if you're experiencing pain, like if, like if, if, if the enemy wants to, wants to cut the generations between sons and fathers and create unforgiveness, and you're standing up against that, I think you'll probably experience some tension for that. You'll probably get backlash if you're following Jesus against the norm. And so the soil of healing and suffering, something in the pH balance of that, seems to be what we're running into with the guy at the Legion and, and the woman at the issue of blood, is that he's always around the lake because the lake is the flesh, the devil in the world, which will bring about pain. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Like, kingdom is public. There's a day that Jesus will shout from the rooftops what he whispers in your ear. But faith starts in that private spot. I remember uh, just being a believer early on in my life. I wasn't in a big Billy Graham crusade. Neither of my parents are believers. It was just an open Bible. I opened it, not believing in Jesus, and I closed it saying I'd follow him. I was 16 years old, not knowing anything that was going to come after that. But, but notice the, the privateness of this moment. That he, that he has a crowd around him, but he draws it down to five people. The three disciples, the two parents, and the dead girl. He certainly could have just opted to make it into a, into a broadcast time. But he decides to make it private. And so when we're away from this space on Sunday morning, and we don't have to sing, and there's no letters on the screen, it's like that morning when you're waking up and you've got to do it again. Like, that's where it lives. That's where it lives. That's where it dies. That is where the kingdom of heaven, in front of our Father in heaven, that's where the kingdom of heaven is birthed in mustard seeds that change mountains. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. That title right there is the thing that threads it together. This is how we know that God is not tangling us, he's weaving us. Because that is the same word that he said to the woman with the issue of blood just 45 verses earlier. He said to her, daughter, you're healed because of your faith. And he says to this one who's dead, Little girl, you're healed because of your faith. In other words, although these two people have been born in completely different circumstances and in completely different sides of the track, that both of these people are not disconnected. They're connected. And not only are they tangled and running into each other randomly, they're woven together in a thread of sovereignty. And what he's saying is, this one's a daughter and this one's a daughter, so these two people are not strangers, they're sisters. That their faith... Do you realize, like, you, like, sovereignty is inevitable for people in Christ. All good and glory will work for those that call according to Christ Jesus. But faith is a choice. And the way you walk into this room will affect everyone else in here. The way that I will walk into this room, whether I choose fear or faith, whether you choose fear or faith, God will get this bus home the way he needs to get it home. But we get to decide what we do on it. And the faith that we walk is not just for you. It's for, it's for people you don't know yet. That these two people are not strangers. They're sisters. They're sisters. Little girl, little girl, you're healed. Little girl, get up. Immediately, verse 42 says, the girl stood up and began to walk around. Immediately is the word that's used 15 times in the book of Mark. And, and the funny thing about it is it's not really immediately. He's been doing it since the foundation. It's immediate to us. We're the ones that just found out about it. He's the suffering servant in the background with the mustard seeds. And it's not until it's made public that we see what was sown in private. So it's immediate to us. Immediately, the girl stands up and begins to walk around. And she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And then it closes in verse 43. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told him, told them to give something to eat. I think at the very end, it's just like Peter's mother-in-law. God loves food. Jesus was a foodie. You know, they called him a, uh, they called, called him a drunken and a glutton. It's not because he just was escaping his feelings. It's because he always had something to party about. When the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we got to raise a toast for that. But I think it also says this, is that one of the best things you could do for somebody having a miracle or waiting on a miracle, the person that's healed first or the person that's healed second or last, the best thing to do across the, 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 the spectrum is to serve them. No matter where they are, if you're Peter's mother-in-law or the person that just got healed or your little girl or woman with the issue of blood, here's how I know that I can do God's will even when it's unclear to me. It's just serve people. 
is to feed them. That's continually what's being, what's being said to us. And so I'll close with this little video. Um, it's, it's up there on the screen. And, uh, you know, for parents, you've got you to gotta video the good times to remember when you just want to just shake people um, with the little babies, okay? And so I got to this thing in 2017 when, my, when, when Ollie was one, and I would come in and I would videotape his first waking hours. And parents know, and those that, you know, don't have kids right now or whatever, don't live with them, know this is the best part of the day, okay? So I want to videotape this for the bad parts of the day because after this, he's about to go in and write Sharpie all over. Oh, Kyra's couch. Did you see? Oh, you were seeping. Good morning, little friend. Good morning, Baba. Hi. Yeah, do you see the passion in his eyes? He's ready to have a great day. He's full up. His gas tank is high. In 30 more minutes, he's going to have meltdown and have a, a tantrum, right? So that's, that's how fast that goes. You've got to remember the good times for when the hard times come, okay? But this is what Jesus is saying, is that this is, a, this is a taste, this is a sneak preview, this is not the main event, that this girl is going to die again. But this girl and this resurrection is about to tell us about a, 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 a future forever resurrection that will never die again, that Jesus says and he means it, that we think that life is temporary and death is eternal, but he believes that death is temporary and life is eternal for those that trust in Christ. And so here's what's going to happen when the trumpet sounds. As quick as you could go up to a, a napping toddler and I'll tell you what, how fast, how long it takes you to get him to sleep and how fast you can get him just to wake up, it is unbelievable to me. I wish we could switch those two things around. He is not arm wrestling over resurrection. He's not guessing, checking our suffering and trying to put the pieces together. Maybe I can fix it this way and put water on the toothpaste here. He is timing and he is planning and he is weaving a good and glory plan that we oftentimes don't see. He is wasting none of the woman of the issue of blood suffering. He's wasting none of Jairus' suffering. He's wasting none of your suffering. This is not something he's trying to fix. This is stuff that he is using for the good and glory of the kingdom of God. And when it's happening, it is hard, and it is easier to preach and harder to live. But when it's over, it's over. And he's going to wake you up, and he's going to touch you. He's going to say, little son, little daughter, it's time to wake up. And that'll be the last time you'll ever have to go to sleep and the last time you'll ever wake, whether you have the healing now or healing afterwards, when he wakes us up, when there is resurrection, that will be eternal life, not temporary life. And so I did this little chart, this guy that talks about spiritual disciplines in this book I've been reading, and he says you should write, you should write your, your, your age at the top of the left and just write all the ages you'll ever be. For as much faith, I got faith for 80 years. Some of you guys have got faith for 100, right? 41, 42, 43, 44. This is going a lot faster than I thought. I don't have that many, 45, 46. And then he says, write your wife's age. So Kyra, do, 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 do. And I have this little XY chart. And then my kids, Rose, Leo, Alec, Ollie. Like in five years, I'm not even a dad anymore. <laughs> like that's how fast it went. 2018 was five years ago. That's a public service announcement. It makes me nervous how fast that goes. It's not that long. And so my humble confession is I've been joining in with the ladies weightlifting uh, class with Kyra because of solidarity. It's harder than you think, okay, because they do reps over weights, okay, and it's hard. And I was, it's shameful because I don't want to mod down in there. I don't need that. But the whole time I couldn't put my arms down the first time. And so I've been watching the clock. Because there's things you can't do for 60 seconds, but you can do them for 30 seconds. There's things in life that you can suffer for. You couldn't suffer for an hour, but you could do it for five minutes, and so there's a, there's a ratio and proportion of this thing. We're not here for that long. It's going to happen quicker than you think. Even if you get healed before you die, it could happen quicker than you think. But even if your healing is postponed until you die, it's still going to be quick. 
And there's things you do, like you can do if you just understand that this pain is temporary, but the kingdom is forever. And if you can just have that ratio, that sense of clarity, that sense of conviction, that, that like, like what you are doing down here, down here deeply matters, that grace and sovereignty, grace and sovereignty is inevitable, but faith is a choice. It is your choice. What is the story about? Is a story that starts with a woman who has so much faith she changes God's day. But it ends with a girl getting healed and all she has to do is fall asleep. And there's a range for our existence. In other words, there are things that you can't control and there's things that you can control. But what you are responsible for today is your faith. You have a choice today for fear or for faith. Which one will you do? That is the experience that you have. You have the choice to to ask yourself, why me? Or you can ask yourself, how is God using this? What is God trying to teach me? What is he trying to show me? Because suffering is, is not optional. It is normative. And he is calling us actually into more suffering that we see more faith because he didn't come just for miracles. He came for faith to grow. So in your bleeding, whatever issue that you're dealing with, know that you're not just dealing with this issue for you, but also people you don't know. That the, that the, that the degrees of separation, even in this church, you walking in fear of faith deeply matters for the person across the room from you today because faith is not independent, it's integrated. And that as we grow in faith continually, that this is the, the, the mustard seed that will move mountains, and ultimately Jesus does heal some people first and some people second, but ultimately his, his, his desire and his call is that he will, all, he will wake us all up at the, at, at, the, at the new heavens and the new earth, and we will, we will, we will be awake in a way that we'll never sleep again. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.